welcome to One Life Online. The podcast that brings you the weekly sermons at One Life Church, Kampala. In this episode, we listen to a sermon from Matthew chapter 10 verses 5 through 24, titled, Freely Received, Freely Give, presented by Martin Muchoki. As you listen to this message, may the Lord speak to you through His Word, by His Spirit, and cause you to walk according to His will, by His grace. not turn away anyone who's seated here or listening to me or who listens to him when they go to him. Never. And there is no big thing, there is no small thing that troubles our hearts or our minds which we should not take to the Lord Jesus. He receives sinners, he receives saints, he receives all who go to him with the burdens that they carry, with the issues that they have. So after this, Jesus, as was read, went to many cities and villages, everywhere that he chose, anywhere he was received, wherever he had purposed. He went there to do three things, to teach, to instruct. He went to the synagogues and to as many places as people could hear him and receive him, and he went to teach the word of God. Not only to instruct, but also to preach, to expound about the kingdom of God concerning what God requires from people and who God is. He presented the kingdom and elaborated the gospel. Not only that, which was his primary mission, as we have seen in the past, especially from Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, he not only taught, he not only preached, but he healed all manner of sicknesses and all manner of disease, bodily issues, and life issues. Those who are demon-oppressed, he set them free. This is a summary, if you may, of Jesus' public ministry, preaching the gospel, teaching the word. And to authenticate his office as the Messiah, he performed miracles, he delivered, he did things that no one else has ever done before him. And no one else has been able to do after him, to show that I am the Messiah. He was compassionate when he was doing this. In fact, we are told that when he saw the multitudes, that were following him, he was moved with compassion. He was moved from deep within him, from his bowels, from from the depths of his heart. He was moved with pity, with sympathy, with a special kind of love for those who are oppressed and harassed. If you'd like to dig deeper into the topic of compassion. There is a sermon on our YouTube channel which was preached by Daryl Barnett. A few weeks ago he did a wonderful exposition of what compassion is. Jesus was moved with compassion. He was sympathetic without any ulterior motives or selfishness and desiring that he would relieve those who are in pain. It's a special love demonstrated by Jesus. He was moved with compassion because as was read, they they were worried and they were helpless. They were weary and they were scattered. They were distressed and they were downcast. They were harassed. They were helpless. That's not a good situation to be in. 
And you're thinking, was it by the physical circumstances of life? I do not believe so. Was it by the material circumstances of life? I am not convinced so. The, word that is, the wording that is used here is very strong. Harassed, helpless, worried. It was because of the burden of keeping the law that the religious teachers had put on the people. They could not be able to bear it. It was too much. It was because of the legalism. Unless you do this, God will not accept you. And your works are never, ever enough to satisfy God, to please God. That is, it is so much burden on an individual. Even you who are seated here. Try and please God by what you do. You will not be able to do it. It will be a drudgery. It will be a burden that you will never bear. You will die a miserable man, a miserable woman. They were distressed by the many years of silence from God. 400 years before John and Jesus came speaking the word of God, there was no word from God, just silence. Imagine that silence. Imagine not having your Bible for 400 years, not listening to a sermon for 400 years, not hearing a prophet declare the word of God for 400 approximately years. They were harassed by the oppression of the Romans. They were helpless because of the difficulties of life. They didn't start today with our high cost of living and high cost of commodities. This situation has always been there. Jesus said, the poor you will always have. They were weary because of the burden of sin. They could never lay down by their many works. They were like sheep having no shepherd lost, blind without direction, without hope. Did you know that you cannot survive for very long without hope? It is a hope that keeps us going. When things are hard, you hope for better days. When things are not working out as you would, you hope that they will improve. When you are sick, you have hope that you will get sick. I mean, you will get healed, sorry. You can't survive for very long without hope. If you are a parent and you look at your children and they are not behaving the way you want them to behave, you have hope that they will change as they mature and grow up and they have some wisdom. If you are beset by the temptations of sin, you will give up quickly if you don't have the hope that Jesus takes away the burden of sin and forgives you and there can be a better day when you are able to overcome that sin. These people were in a hopeless, helpless, bad situation. There was only despair and despondency and discouragement and dispassion. No wonder Jesus was moved with compassion. So he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Not a literal harvest, but a spiritual harvest. When you think of harvest, we usually think of last days or, or end times, right? Even a literal harvest, it comes after a process, and it's all the way to the end when you harvest your crops. It's symbolic for the last days. We are living in the last days. When the gospel is preached, it is offered to all, before the judgment of God falls on this world and on this earth because of the wickedness of human beings. It is being offered freely, graciously to as many as we hear it and as many as will receive it. And an end time judgment will soon be delivered. But then we think this harvest, who planted? If there's a harvest, someone has to have planted. Undoubtedly, it was Jesus, wasn't it? Jesus planted. 
We've been hearing about how he healed, about how he delivered, about how he preached, about how he taught. Those were the very words we've begun with. He, teach, he taught, he preached. We've seen him doing miracles. He was planting. Now it's time for a harvest. He tells his disciples the harvest is prepared. It's there and it's plentiful. Who prepared the harvest? God, by all of these years of silence. When they were going through a dry period. In the life of a Christian, sometimes you go through a dry period where you feel it is as if I can't hear from God. You read his word and there's something I expect. There is an inspiration I expect. There is the Holy Spirit I expect to speak to me personally, directly. I can't hear the small, still voice. I can't hear the loud voice. I'm trying to sing. I'm trying to do such and such. Where is God? It seems as if he is silent. Magnify that by 400 years. But in our situation, imagine when you go for a day, a week, a month, and then finally the Lord speaks. It is like an oasis of refreshment in the middle of a wilderness. You want to stay there. You want to say like Peter, let us build three tents. I want to stay here. I know what I've been missing. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. Harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers, laborers who are few. Have you realized as we went through the life of Christ how many invitations Jesus has given? Can you try and think of a time when Jesus gave an invitation. Right now in our Life of Christ teaching series, we are in the middle of Jesus' public ministry. He has only given one invitation in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He has been laboring. The harvest is plentiful. Who will go to gather? He often preached, and by his message came conviction. People turned to him. Some, like Zacchaeus, it is Jesus who turned to Zacchaeus. But more often, they listened to the preaching and teaching and wondered about their lives. It's what we do. It's what happens to us when we hear about the teaching and the preaching of Jesus. We reflect. We inflect. We wonder. We place ourselves in those shoes and ask ourselves some questions. Some questions that, for example, they asked, let's say in John chapter 6, when Jesus was teaching about the bread of life, and they asked, what must we do to do the works of God? When you're listening to the word, there is usually a conviction that comes on you, and then you ask, what shall I do? When Peter was preaching at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and they were convicted, and they were cut to the heart, they asked, what shall we do to be saved? A lawyer came to Jesus in Luke chapter 11, and asked Jesus, what good thing must I do to earn eternal life? Do you remember the rich, young ruler? Master, what good thing must I do to attain eternal life? It's the general reaction of any Christian, of anyone who is listening to the word with caution. You want to know, how does this affect my life at the present time? How does this affect my life in eternity? And what can I do because we are a doing people? We want to be doing something Remember that wall hanging people used to keep in their houses with a monkey that read, don't just sit there, do something. Sometimes God seems to say, don't just do something, just sit there. We sang it, right? Just sit there. What do you want to always want to do? Just sit and listen. And you know how listening is challenging today? You heard Daryl reading from The Valley of Vision. 
concentrating like that, I don't know why, I don't know if we are burdened by so many difficulties of life. Some people say it's because of the screens or social media or just getting bits of information and we fragment our memories and our minds and all that. But holding someone's attention just to, to listen to you speaking for a few minutes has become challenging by the day. But we must struggle through that and wade through that and cultivate that, that being able to listen. Just wake up in the morning, sit on your chair, read your scriptures and listen to the Lord. So today it seems, it feels as if, as if the laborers are plentiful and the harvest is few. Until you dig deeper and you realize that the status quo is actually not like that. The status quo from Jesus' time remains. Yes, yes, I agree with you. There is a preacher at every corner. But what are they preaching? Yes, there is a Christian at every turn. But are they growing in the grace of God? Yes, by the 2014 census, we are 84.5% Christians in Uganda. And another census will come next year. We'll see where those numbers are now. But 84.5%. But we wonder, why is there no far-reaching transformation? There's still corruption and bribery all over. Is it only the 15%? Even some of those in the 15%, some of the religions in the 15% are harder on corruption than the 85%. The harvest is large, brothers and sisters. But there are few, few workers to gather it in. So the reality remains. Reality remains. There are about a hundred and something of us here. Every one of us here can be a laborer, a worker. In an hour from now, in a week from now, in a day from now, all of you will be scattered in all manner of places. The Lord is sending you there as his laborers. Go there and live out the gospel with integrity and love and compassion and kindness. Raise your families in the way of God. Teach in a school. Become a police officer or an accountant or a lawyer or a doctor or a missionary or whatever it is that you do for the glory of God. Labor there. You don't have to wait to labor only behind the pulpits. You don't have to go there in your offices as a police officer or whatever you do and go and start preaching to the people instead of doing your work. Do your work to the glory of God and God will be exalted. And someone will come and ask you, why do you not beat people? Why do you not, are you not corrupt? Why do you not take bribes? And you will say, let me tell you why. Because I have been transformed. Because my heart has been transformed, my mind is renewed. Because I know Christ Jesus who lives on high. And what beautiful, wonderful testimony is greater than that. What shall we do? Verse 38. Jesus gave us the remedy. He said, therefore, pray. Brothers and sisters, do not underestimate the power of God in prayer. It's the first thing Jesus said. You would have thought he would have sent them out first. Instead, he says, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the harvest, he was right there with his disciples as he tells them this. He tells them, pray to me. Pray to God. Make sure that you pray. I'll always be right here with you as my disciples. I am, I am God with you. I am Emmanuel. So start by prayer. And say, God, send forth laborers. Don't stop with prayer, but do not underestimate the power of God 
through prayer. So pray that God would send out laborers. This word, send out, has this kind of an idea. Taking something that, that you don't like, that is maybe even, even smelly or you don't enjoy it, you take it and you throw it as far away from you as possible. Is the word translated send out in your version or cast out. It's the same word used when Jesus was casting out demons. It's the same word used when he will commission his disciples in verse 1 of chapter 10 and tell them cast out demons. Why? Because most of us do not go out as laborers deliberately. If the Lord comes to you today and says, so and so, I want to call you for full-time ministry. I want you to leave what you're doing now and leave to a place where I will go, where, where I want you to go, and where I want you to follow me. Most of us here, with very few exceptions, will be like, ah, uh, uh, let me think about it for some time. Let me pray about it for some time. And even then, there is likely to be a struggle before God has to say, you have to go. You must go because I am sending you. Not many volunteer like Isaiah and say, send me, send me, Lord, I am available, send me. The Lord has to send us out almost by force and say, go. It's the word that is used, it's a strong word. God sending us as laborers, as teachers, people skilled in the word of God by his spirit. This is why in our study of the life of Christ, we are digging down deep to reach out wide and grow up high. And we are desiring to know Jesus. So, pray to the Lord to send out laborers into his harvest. Not my harvest, not my church, not my missionary work, not my calling, not my mission. Jesus is the owner of the harvest. And Jesus will build his church. As someone said, he will use us in the construction process. But he's not my church. It's not my harvest. It is his mission which we are on. And every one of us is on mission. Don't say that is for missionaries who have been sent by their churches. That is for apostles who have been commissioned out. No, every one of us is on a mission that should end up with glorifying Christ. So pray. Then after praying, he sends his disciples in verse 1. He called the 12 and, and sent them. He summoned them. He invited them. And he gave them, look at this, he gave them power. He gave them authority. Did you ever watch that cartoon called The Road Runner? Uh, sometimes I watch it with my children. I don't know why when I put it, I, I just get stuck there and I want to watch whether the coyote will finally be able to eat the road runner. <laughs> what does the coyote use mostly when he wants to blow up something? Dynamite, right? Dynamite. The word power here means has that kind of an idea. Something that blows up. Dynamite. He gave them power. Authority against power against. This is delegated power. The same authority as Jesus had shown in his ministry. This is what he gave them over demons. Not to go and have a discourse or a discussion with the demons, but to go and blow them up and cast them out. Look at the emphasis that is laid there in verse 1. Go and heal every manner of disease and every manner of affliction. Why repeat sickness and disease? You think this, is, this word means the same thing? 
go and deal with it decisively. So apostles sent out with the same authority as the sender to represent him. Symbolic of the 12 tribes of, the, of Israel, go and do this. I'm giving you the power to be able to do that. So he sent them out in verse 5 after instructing them. You're wondering, where did he instruct them? We have been listening to the instructions of Jesus to his disciples, to other people. And he's, he's been demonstrating the miracles and the deliverance and so on. After he does this, he sends them out. And he tells them, do not go anywhere among Gentile territory. Do not go to Samaritan towns. No, no, don't do that. That's not where I'm sending you at this present time. That time will come. At some point, Jesus will, re, will, will remove that prohibition. He will lift that restriction of going to the Gentiles, not, but rather going to the Jews. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 to verse 20. But this time he tells them, go nowhere among Gentile territory or Samaritan towns. And this does not mean that they could not present the gospel to anyone who was not a Jew if they listened in or if they approached them. But this is a command. Look at verse 5 sent them out and commanded them. What Jesus meant in verse 6 was, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. At this time, this is where I command you to go, to my covenant people. Go fast to them. And you're feeling, ah, this is, why? Why would he do something like this? Sometimes we feel we are more gracious or more kind or more merciful than Jesus. And so we ask questions, why would he do something like this? Because according to God, for example, in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5, the Jews were his peculiar people. They were his treasured possessions. That's how God describes them in the Old Testament. For example, in Exodus 19 and verse 5, they are his special nation, a people called by his name, my own people. Go to them. And also notice that Jesus does not say go to the goats of Israel. Did you see that? Go to the lost sheep. They are not goats. They are sheep. Lost maybe. Certainly, but not goats. It's a famous verse that most of you know in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why are you not ashamed of it? Because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. How does it end? First to the Jew, to the Jew first, then to the Gentile, to the Greek. We saw in John chapter 4, when we looked at Jesus discoursing with the Samaritan woman, Jesus tells her, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. Why? Because salvation is of the Jews. So go to these people first, Jesus says. And as you go, this is your primary mission. This is the primary mission of every Christian. Preach. Not necessarily to stand behind a pulpit and preach. I usually preach for 40 minutes a week. Do you want to do a statistical analysis of that in percentage? It's very small, 0, 0.00 something percent of the week. You only sit here for less than two hours on a Sunday. This can't be everything, all the worship you do in a week, right? It's too little. Two hours out of 168 hours, that's too little. It can't only be the only place where preaching is done. Wherever you go, wherever Jesus is with you, preach, proclaim, herald, expound. 
present this good news of the rule and the reign of the Messiah, announce the message and arrival of the kingdom, and say, repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's just, it's just near you. It's not very far from you. And then the secondary mission in verse 8, overthrow the physical realities of the outcome of sin. Physical realities of the outcome of sins are, for example, sickness and death. So he tells them, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, those with dreaded skin diseases, go and raise the dead. Not only that, but overthrow the spiritual reality of the work of Satan. Cast out devils. There is no mercy there. There's no negotiation there. Cast out devils. And while at it, look at this in verse 8. While at it, do not make money from it. Do not sell the gift of God. Do not peddle the gospel. I know you have physical and material needs. I know the temptation to profit from miracles will come. But you received without paying. Give without paying. Your version may say, freely you have received, freely give. That is the title of my sermon, by the way. You have received without paying, so give without being paid. Did the disciples do anything to earn the power that Jesus gave to them? Maybe they paid for it. Maybe they were the biggest givers. No, no, no. It was free. Did you earn the salvation that you received? Sometimes we think so when we start off. We think, yeah, I did something. I accepted Christ, I made the decision. It was me who struggled with Christ, and finally, ah, okay, Christ, I accept you. Ah, okay, I, okay, I decide to follow you. Sometimes many Christians begin like that. Then when you read the scriptures, you find, oh, wait, it was God who went to look for Adam and Eve. They were hiding. It was actually him who saved me. I was lost. I was blind. I was dead in sins. Whatever I received, I received by grace through faith in Jesus Christ for free. It costed Jesus everything, but I received it for free. For free without paying. Why would I want to, to sell it? Why would I want to peddle the gospel? That is madness. That is insanity. That is wickedness of the highest order. That is gross immorality. That is an abuse in the face of God himself. You received without paying, give without paying. Listen, whichever gift God has given you, whichever gift God has placed in your life, whether it is giving, whether it is teaching, whether it is exhorting, whether it is praying for others, whether it is singing, whether it is serving, you have received it for free. Don't sleep on it. And don't charge it. Give it freely and gladly, with joy in your heart, with a smile on your face. And he tells them in verse 9 and verse 10, as you go, do not acquire extra Gold or silver or bronze or copper. You know how Jesus was sending them? Like the way we are seated here, assuming you are the 12 disciples and I am Jesus, which I can never be. But we are just taking an assumption or an example. He's telling them, when I finished giving you these instructions, leave as you are and go. Did you lock the door of your house? 
Did you lock your vehicle? Did you leave clothes on the hanging line? Is there some transaction you're waiting to be completed? Is there a student who hasn't finished homework? Is there an accounting, something that hasn't been done? Is there some medicine you're supposed to take later on? Don't go for it. After this place, go. This is what Jesus is telling the 12 disciples. Don't try to look for more money or silver or bronze or copper. Don't have it in your money belt. A money belt was a simple, easy to access sash that was on the girdle, on the belt that someone would wear. Placed conveniently on the belt, like a wallet that most men carry or a concealed purse that most women will put inside their larger purses. Don't carry any bag for your daily needs. Sometimes this bag was called a beggar's bag because the people who would minister the word of God would go begging and saying, give me, give me, give me because I've been preaching or teaching. Don't carry that, Jesus says. The teachers of that day, the rabbis of that day would carry that kind of a bag for their supplies. Jesus says, carry nothing. It would be given to you during your ministry. This is a gospel journey of faith. God will provide. Don't carry any extra garment or sandals, no extra shirt, no extra shoes. Your clothing will be supplied. Some of them may have been carrying staffs, S-T-A-F-F, a staff. Some of them are not carrying a staff. Jesus says, if you're carrying a staff, go with it. If you're not carrying a staff, do not seek to acquire one. I want you to go as you are. This is the point of Jesus. Go to the mission as you are. Because the laborer, the worker, deserves his food. He is worthy of his support. I know you all have needs. I know you will have needs. But I need you to trust me to meet them. This is a lesson that you, my disciples, will learn. And consequently, for the people who you are ministering to, they will learn to support God's people and God's work and God's word. There is some kind of a mutual help there and support there. When you read the book of Philippians chapter 4, I, I love that verse. And my God shall supply for all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Don't lose the context. What Paul has been saying before that is, as the gospel minister ministers to the spiritual needs of the people, the people will minister to the spiritual needs of the gospel messenger, of you, the missionary, of you, the disciples. And because of that, when this, this mutual benefit occurs, my God will supply for all of your needs. The spiritual need, the physical need, the material need will be provided for. So Jesus tells them, do not merchandise miracles. Do not sell signs. If there was a commandment he was giving here is, thou shalt not vend wonders. Don't do it. Workers should be given what they need. Those you minister to have a responsibility, my dear disciples, to meet your needs. In fact, in fact, more than a responsibility. What you shall receive will be a right, not a gift. When you do the work of Jesus, when you present the gospel faithfully, you are worthy of every support received. That's how Jesus puts it in verse 10. A worker is worthy of his meat, of his food. Workers should be given what they need. Right? Even in the, 
even in the literal physical sense. If you have employed a worker, if you are employed somewhere as a worker, there are some tools you need. You need a computer, you need a hammer, um, whatever it is that you need. You need a pen or an office or a desk. It has to be supplied to you to be able to do your work. And whatever city or town you enter, find out who will be hospitable to you. Who will treat you gently and warmly? This is verse 11. And kindly. And stay there in that city or village. Stay there. Don't go from house to house. Just, just abide there. Don't roam. Don't wander. Don't go asking for help in all manner of places. Someone has welcomed you and been hospitable to you and is helping to meet your needs. Stay there. Verse 12, verse 13. When you go into a household, greet it. <laughs> <clears throat> the physical reading is when you read it you wonder how can I greet a house can you imagine that going to a house a hello house it's good to see you again do you still have two bedrooms or did you add another extra bedroom obviously that is not what Jesus is asking <laughs> a house or a household means a family or if you may a home where a family lives greet them in the customary way if the family receives you well, give the house a blessing of peace, the shalom. Hey, may it go well with you. May it prosper you. May God do good to you. May you be blessed. May you be highly favored. When you go there, leave that kind of a customary blessing of peace. Leave your shalom there. But if you are turned down, if you are not accepted, take back your blessing of peace. If you are already given out your shalom, say, okay, I'm taking it back now. You people did not receive me. Verse 14, receiving God's messengers and heeding to God's message, Jesus says, is serious business. The times we live in are the last days today. And Jesus compares them to the days of Noah at some later stage. The gospel is being preached before the judgment comes. Grace is abundantly offered, opportunities are presented but soon judgment will come. At the present time, God seems to allow a lot. And the whole creation is groaning with earnest expectation for when God will come to set all things right. If they were not received, they were to symbolically sign out that they are not responsible any further with that person or that place by shaking the dust of their clothes, the dust that they had picked up with their sandals, or maybe it was even on their sandals. And the Jews would normally do this as a sign of contempt. When they came from Gentile areas, they felt those people were impure, unclean, and godly. So immediately they got into the boundary of their hometown, they would do that. Now I am clean. Jesus asked his disciples to do it as an act of judgment for rejecting the gospel. The gospel that is the only source of life. We sang about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only source of life. That is the only way to the Father. You can't make your own way. I can't make my own way. Some people ask, Jesus didn't have to die for me. I would have died for myself. God would have asked me and I would have died for myself. Hey, sorry, my dear friend, my dear brother. You are, you are unclean. You are full of sin. God cannot accept it. 
And the only way that God provided us for his son to die on the cross and that by believing in him, we have eternal life. So sorry, your sacrifice is not only unnecessary and unneeded, but it is also incomplete and that cannot satisfy the wrath of God against sin and cleanse. So Jesus asked his disciples to do it as an act of judgment because they have rejected the only source of life that saves them from the wrath of God against sin. Do you remember Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 3, Ezekiel chapter 33 also? He was asked to do the same thing. He was told, Ezekiel, I am sending you to these people. I've always thought his call was very difficult to live out because God tells him from the get-go, these people are stiff-necked and they are hard-hearted and they will not listen to you. Nevertheless, I am sending you. If you do not tell them about their sin and what I'm telling you to tell them, their blood is on your own hands. But if you tell them and they refuse to turn away, you are clean. You are absorbed from that. Watchman, I am sending you to do that. If you don't do it, it is sin. Paul and Barnabas did this, for example, in Acts chapter 13 and verse 49 to 51, specifically 51. They refused to hear them and they shook the dust off their feet and they said, our hands are now clean. Jesus says, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. What do you think of when you hear the words Sodom and Gomorrah? What's the first thing that comes to mind? You think gross immorality. It is a byword for that. Whether it was the cities being destroyed or Lot offering his daughters to men to abuse them. That has tried to be explained, such as in that culture, you're supposed to, to, to protect your guests at all costs. It has been explained as Lot knew these people were very wicked and they would not agree to take their daughters and so on and so forth. But imagine the gross immorality of that day. However, it is tried to be explained. That's what people think when they think of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a byword for gross immorality. It is, the two cities, they are synonymous with the worst of sins. On them, on them, on Sodom and Gomorrah, God poured out instant, deserved judgment with no warning that wiped out everyone who was in there and left only one thing death. The cities are no longer there. Whatever lies there is dead. Instant deserved judgment that wiped out everyone and which came on them with no warning by fire and by brimstone. Those who reject Jesus, Jesus says, will have it worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Take that in for a moment. It's one of the hyperboles of Jesus. Use of exaggeration for effect. God will show more mercy to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah than to the people of that place, that city, than to the people who reject Christ. And this is a serious issue. Therefore, don't take the issue of rejecting the gospel lightly. 
And people take it lightly because it seems now God is winking at sin. As if God doesn't care. Don't take the issue of living out the gospel as a Christian lightly. God doesn't take it lightly. Whoever rejects him, this is the damnation that God delivers on them. The judgment that God delivers on them. It's a message of love. Because it calls you to believe in the gospel when it is presented. And to receive it with all its hardship. Next Sunday, God willing, we shall continue with verse 17 to verse 42. Verse 16 is a transition into that. But you will see, you will hear Jesus now telling them of the coming persecutions. Yes, it is a hard journey and a hard life, but God gives grace. And God is there with us to help us to bear it all. But it will be worse for the person who rejects the good news of Jesus Christ than it will be, as happened to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for this record of you sending out your disciples, being moved with compassion at the incomparable suffering of the multitude, at the unending harassment of people, and being prepared and ready to alleviate it by sending out your disciples to go and offer the free gift of the gospel, a gift that costs you everything, but which we receive by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. A gift which sets us free and gives us a new life in Christ Jesus. A gift which is now being offered to all who will hear before the end time judgment comes. You have prepared those of us who are seated here or listening as laborers. And today, just as you asked the disciples to go out, the 12 disciples, you are asking all of us as your disciples to go out as your laborers, because the harvest, it is plentiful. It is the laborers who are few. Father, put it in our hearts to be able to say like Isaiah, as you are posing the question to us today, who will go out and present the gospel in the ordinary course of their life? Help us to answer, I will. Here am I. I am prepared to do it. I will do it this week by your grace. Help people to, to accept the gospel. For rejecting it means many difficulties, but also an eternity which is full of torment and pain and suffering and separation and death. It will be more tolerable, you tell us, for those two cities than for those who reject you. Help us to heed this warning in the same way we heed to your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to God's Word today. Feel free to contact the pastor on phone at 0705-581-369 or send an email to pastor at onelifechurch.ug. 
or follow us on Facebook at One Life Church and subscribe to our YouTube channel at One Life Church Kampala, Uganda. One Life Church is a multicultural community of believers equipped to serve Christ's mission.